you know, as eating disorder dietitians, we can villainize other types of foods that are sort of quote unquote health foods, right? Like, no, eat the pasta, not the quinoa, that sort of thing. I think we need to be a little careful about that as well. Hello, welcome to The Seasoned RD, a podcast connecting newer professionals in the field of eating disorders to those of us who have been around for a while. I'm your host, Beth Harrell, a certified eating disorders registered dietitian and supervisor. And I'm Abby Brown, a registered dietitian who is newer to the field. I think of myself as a well-seasoned cast iron skillet with wisdom and experience, yet always ready for something new. And I think of myself as an Instapot with innovation and a fresh perspective. This podcast brings both to the table to share ingredients, recipes, and techniques of past and present so we can all be our best for the future. The kettle is heating up. The skillet is on simmer. So join us around the table for true professional nourishment. Abby, ready to stir the pot? Let's do it. So you know how you just kind of click with people and all levels of seasonings and Alex is kind of a mid to early level seasoning, but she has this. She is such a great EDRD. She lets us know as dietitians, people often show up in our offices for a meal plan for weight reasons. And, you know, it's often related to worry about actual or perceived potential for chronic illnesses like diabetes or GI concerns. And this gives us a chance to talk about the why, a place for them to tell their food story. And for Alex, it's much more fulfilling for myself as well, for you and your client than just handing out a meal plan or calculating calories. So she shares with us her three steps to eating more simple carbs and embracing both Cheetos and kale (laughs) so we don't villainize foods also that might be considered health foods. So language does make a difference and we are really glad to have Alex with us today and I hope you enjoy her episode as well. Hello, today we are here with Alex. Oh gosh, I didn't ask you how you pronounce your last name. It's Georgiatis. Georgiatis. Okay. We're here with Alex Georgiatis, and we're really excited to have you, Alex. There is the the whole idea of this podcast is to bring in people who are newer in the field to people who are more experienced and all along the spectrum, even interns, grad students, people who are just interested in in listening for the first time. All levels of experience are going to be something that they learn from. It's great. Yeah, this is such a great podcast. And thank you so much for inviting me. Yeah, like Beth said, I'm so excited to have you, especially a fellow outpatient RD. We love connecting with everybody here, but definitely can resonate a little more with with another outpatient RD. So just to get us going, Mm -hmm. mountains or beach? Oh, beach, beach. I was expecting you to say mountains being in Colorado. (sighs) Well, anywhere where it's sunny for me, right? So Colorado is definitely sunny. But, you know, when you think of the beach, you think of the sun and the warmth. So definitely beach. Yeah. Wow. I'm a mountain girl. And so I'll come visit you anytime. I have come to visit you actually before. <laughs> you have. And yeah. I loved it. And um, maybe someday I'll live near the beach. I have before. <laughs> I used to live in Los Angeles. Maybe, maybe someday again. Okay. And then for the next one, breakfast or dinner? Ooh, that's tough. Dinner. Hmm. Yeah, dinner, just, you know, anticipating that kind of wind down at the end of the day and, you know, 
family together and having a big dinner. Mm-hmm. But that's a hard one because it just, you know, breakfast is awesome too. It's <laughs> <laughs> a tough one. Yeah, it is a tough one. But yeah, yeah. I, that, a lot of people really do appreciate it's not necessarily the food. It's the time together right. when it's dinner because you're winding down, like you said. You can, you're connecting a little more. Breakfast is a, is a bit more of a solo yeah. Solo affair for me. It yeah. can be. Yeah, me too, for sure. Yeah. And, you know, weekends and weekdays are different. We know that as dietitians when we're taking our 24 hour recalls or whatever, and we're asking. That's right. <laughs> or whatever their schedule may be. Okay. Yeah. Audiobook or paper book? Paper. Paper. Yeah. yeah. I'm definitely more drawn to just grabbing and holding the pages, reading the, the, the book. But I do think I would probably read more books if I did audio. You know, so transitioning to audio would probably be a good idea. Mm. Um, wanting to embrace that a little more. I used to be reject that 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 concept and think I was appalled by it, right? But yeah, I'm starting to understand, you know, the benefits of audiobooks for sure. But yeah, I pick I pick paper. You know, when you said that, Alex, it reminded me of my mom when microwaves came out and she was just like, no, we can't. That's just like too, well, I'm going to go ahead and use the saucepan on the stove to to reheat things. And of course, eventually she came around to it. But that's also part of this podcast is that the picture that Abby and I have is as I'm using my mom's encyclopedia, it's all mm. torn and used and got food all over it. I mean, it's been yeah. loved, loved and used and she's on her phone or her computer looking up recipes. And so, you know, the whole idea of audiobook is newer, mm-hmm. but do you have a commute to work? Right no, I'm, I'm well right now. I'm actually still fully remote. Okay. Yeah. So, and my commute was, was quite short. So, okay. That yeah, audiobook yeah. wouldn't work in that scenario. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So for those of you who are listening in, I want to ask Alex, what do you remember any story about exam day? You're a registered dietitian. Mm-hmm. And do you have any stories from that day or from around that time? Oh gosh. You know, for me, it's interesting. I didn't take the exam until you had a year after you finished the internship and I had a baby in that time. I was pregnant during my internship and I had a baby and I went right up into embarrassed to say, went right up until right almost that deadline. Oh my um, gosh. I would have been so anxious. It was. So I was, you know, I thought, yeah, I, I, but I remember I just that day, you know, I was still kind of in the middle of nursing and it was all kind of a blur, you know, sleep yeah. deprived, new baby. So that was kind of what those, those are the images that, that, that I think of when I think of the RD exam. But I just remember going and thinking, oh gosh, I'll be so annoyed if I don't pass this thing, you know? <laughs> and it was um, computer or was it pencil and paper? It was computer. It was computer. Yeah. And it wasn't so bad. I remember feeling like, you know, that wasn't so bad. And yes, luckily I passed and that was exciting. And for me, it was kind of like, okay, moving on. Now I can move on. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, good. That didn't sound too bad, but I would have been so anxious thinking I'm going to forget everything that I learned. 
I know. Yeah, that was, that is true. And it did make it harder. It did make studying harder. It's not something I recommend doing, waiting that period of time. That's just yeah. kind of how the cards fell for me, right? For yeah. sure. For sure. Yeah. Well, tell us how you got into the field of dietetics and then how you got into the field or the area of eating disorders. Sure. Yeah. You know, it wasn't intentional, the the eating disorders, but, you know, kind of going back how I got into dietetics, it wasn't something on my radar when I went to undergrad. I really didn't quite know what I wanted to do career-wise, majored in randomly double majored in economics and English because those were interesting subjects to me. And I didn't go back to grad school for a while. You know, I moved, I moved to Los Angeles. I'm I'm originally from Michigan, went to the University of Michigan undergrad, you know, moved to Los Angeles, ended up being a preschool teacher over there and knew that it wasn't something I wanted to do forever. And, you know, while I was an undergrad, Toward the end of undergrad, I had randomly listened to, I was listening to Tony Robbins. I, I guess it may have been an audio book, actually, now that, that I'm thinking of it. <laughs> and he, you know, mentioned something about nutrition, you know, the connection between nutrition and health and energy and how you feel. And that kind of, that was like a light bulb in my head about thinking about, you know, health and nutrition. And then it just was on my radar and I was very interested in the, in the topic of nutrition. And it wasn't until I was living in LA and thinking about, you know, kind of what my next move was going to be. I realized, you know, sometimes go to bookstores and peruse books and I, I would always go to the nutrition section and I was kind of a nerd about it and reading, you know, nutrition books. And I thought, gosh, if I was spending, you know, just my extra time on this, why don't I actually do something, you know, make a career out of it? So I did a little research and, and, you know, learned about the different, different things I could do and be being a registered dietitian and applied to the school of public health at the university of Michigan. They had a nutrition program and that's how I got into nutrition. That's so great. It's, I, the more that Beth and I ask this question, the more that we realize not everybody has this like straight and narrow right into yeah. school immediately know you want to be a dietitian. <laughs> From there, how did you get into eating disorders? Right. So, you know, originally I was really interested in, you know, chronic disease management, you know, prevent disease prevention. And so Once I passed my, you know, RD exam and everything, I actually didn't go into a job that was specifically dietetics related. It was in the field of wellness. I worked at a senior living community. It was a both independent and assisted living. And I did, you know, some help, you know, at the corporate office with wellness programs. I even, you know, ran a community. And then from there, I actually worked with a private practice doctor, very part-time. He was, he had, I'm trying to think like an acupuncturist in his office and, uh, you know, other services. And he was looking to work with a dietitian. And so very part-time I would do one-on-one counseling with some of his patients and some of them had eating disorders. And I did have some exposure to eating disorders during my internship as well. I didn't have um, an internship in an eating disorder clinic necessarily, but, you know, one of my preceptors was a dietitian on a college campus. So I saw some, you know, nutrition counseling sessions there. Yeah. So that's sort of how I was introduced to it. And then from there, I 
got the job where I'm at right now, where I work for a dietetic private practice called Essential Nutrition in Boulder. And actually before that, I'm sorry, I I jumped. Before that, I worked for a program called PACE. I don't know if you've heard of that. It's a program for all-inclusive care for the elderly. And they have a, a care team. So basically the program is for trying to empower the elderly and helping them stay in their homes while still providing all of their medical care and even their social care and their therapy treatments that they may need. And so I worked with a multidisciplinary team. We were a care team. And one of the requirements for this program is to have a dietitian on board. And that is where I was, you know, I would help assess with, you know, nutrition needs or at risk for malnutrition, but also a lot of one-on-one counseling with the participants participants. And you'd be surprised, you know, in this population, you know, over 60s and 70s, I I did encounter people who had eating disorders, you know, and, and some undiagnosed that whole time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, go ahead. I did Beth. too. I mean, I think we connected this way too a little bit, Alex is, and there's a video about eating disorders don't discriminate. And it shows an elderly woman who had beat cancer, but because of her weight loss, wouldn't gain anymore. And she ended up dying from her anorexia. Mm -hmm. And when I worked in some of the long-term care facilities, I definitely was working with people who were still wanting to watch their weight, not eating, doing a lot of supplements and chewing and spitting and things that we see in and folks of all ages who want to keep their weight down. So isn't yes. that interesting? It is interesting. And it's a population that we don't hear a lot about or talk a lot about, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And so, and I think it's important to provide a space for those people to come forward and, you yeah. know, get some help. And so, so with those experiences with, with working with people with eating disorders, once I joined this private practice, um, I was open you know, to working with eating disorders. And it's a practice that we see clients for all, you know, a wide range of of topics. And so I would sit in with, you know, the, the owner of the private practice, Lisa Lanzano and other dietitians at the practice. And I sat in with them and um, it was, you know, I, I sat in and just listened and observed and I would, I dove into, you know, Gaudiani's book and just, really kind of was, was fascinated and interested. And as I was observing these sessions, I thought, gosh, I want to be sitting in that chair. You know, I want to be doing this, took lots of notes and kind of just dove right in. And that's how I got into eating disorders. So helpful to hear you say that because that's what it takes, doesn't it? It's really putting yourself Mm -hmm. in that situation. If you see that spark, then starting to learn, taking lots of notes and then putting and reading as much as you can, taking courses or whatever, but putting yourself in that space is so important. Yeah. Yeah. And so now at the private practice, of course you see eating disorders, but you see quite a variety of other things, correct? That's right. That's right. So I do still a quite a variety, right? So people who maybe have just been diagnosed with diabetes or, you know, doctors referring for that they've, you know, they've gotten labs back and they have high cholesterol, um, you know, GI, you know, IBS, GI issues. So it is still a wide variety. And because I work with eating disorders as well, I really think that the sessions I have with people for the other topics 
are so different than they would have been if I didn't work with eating disorders. You know, and I, and I think this is a really important point too, for, for other dietitians who maybe aren't interested in working with eating disorders, you know, it's not something and that's fine. Right. You, we, but, but learning about it, learning about the, the, the concepts, the ideas not only can, can help identify people with eating disorders, right. But it can also, you know, open up certain conversations, for example, you know, if I'm working with someone who, you know, we're, we're trying to work on different lifestyle change and we're educating on diet and how diet, you know, is connected with a diagnosis that they've had and how it may help. Right. So we, we might want to talk about their barriers, their barriers to meal planning, right. Barriers to, you know, time constraints, different things like that. When we talk about it, those barriers might actually sometimes be linked to, experiences they had growing up, you know, maybe they're, you know, not able to plan a meal because of the way that their mom or dad, you know, planned meals and and the meals that they had on the table and they were comparing it to, they couldn't live up to that. And so it kind of, you know, just different things like that, that come up and you have to sort of see those windows and dig a little bit. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. It's it's interesting because we just released an episode with Dr. Michaela Voss, who said that eating disorders need to be on all medical doctors' differentials. Mm-hmm. And what that's what you're saying, Alex, is as a dietitian, you're working with a variety of, you know, sports, diabetes, IBS, other things. And what you're doing, what you said is listening. Even in that assessment, what are your barriers to meal planning, grocery shopping, whatever, you're going to hear little nuggets that that allow you, whether it's high on the differential or low, we don't as dietitians use that terminology, but what it's, it's exactly what you're saying is keeping your radar up for, is this disordered eating based on an emotional past or is this a full-on eating disorder? Exactly. And those are nuggets that I wouldn't otherwise maybe have noticed, you know? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Go ahead, Abby. Well, I was just going to say, I think it helps us frame our language. Like we're much more gentle Mm. with how we can phrase things. I absolutely agree. Yep. I absolutely agree. And I think people, oh, they want to talk, you know, they want to talk about things that they didn't even realize necessarily that they wanted to talk about. Right. And um, they never had a place to talk about it before. The other thing too, is the sessions, you know, can be more holistic in a way, right? We really talk about emotional eating that that can come up what what is your relationship with food right you know i actually it's interesting as someone who considers myself you know a non diet you know dietitian i actually embrace when people have a goal of losing weight i embrace bringing them in i should say because i'm excited to unpack that and really get them to understand, you know, what, what really is behind that, you know, and what really are you, what really are your goals and what are your priorities and really shifting and working on shifting that focus toward health, 
and shifting the focus on why did we even get here as this being your goal, right? And at the end of session, seeing them be, you know, feel so relieved that they didn't, they didn't get handed over a meal plan and some calorie limits, right? That's what they came for, or that's what they thought they came for. Right. And they love that they're not leaving with that, you know, and it's exciting that they're open to it. And I thought at first that people wouldn't be, but most people are. Mm. I just had a client yesterday who was not gaslit by a doctor for one of the first times in their life and was saying, I, you know, it's like she had interrupted him as he was talking about something. And he said, and he said, oh, so that's another clue. And so it's really, we're gathering up those clues instead Mm -hmm. of coming in with a preconceived notion, here's a meal plan. And we're going to look up in whatever references we have and hand it over to them. And, and like you said, I really love, it's more holistic. People Mm -hmm. want to talk and Mm -hmm. they've never had a place to talk about it. How many times have we had our clients say, I never thought I would tell somebody this, but, and, and just reveal some of the biggest, deepest, darkest secrets that they do around food, eating and weight. Right. And especially when it's someone who didn't come in for, you know, for eating disorder counseling, right. Or disordered eating. Exactly. Expecting that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think on the flip side of that, because as a new dietitian, I was expecting, okay, I'm going to, you know, like sprinkle my magic around. Everybody's going to love their body and be happy with food, but it's not always that way. Sometimes Mm -hmm. they want to come in and they do want that meal plan. They do want you to tell them exactly what to eat. And I'll try to like dive in a little bit. It's like, well, why do you think that is? And a lot of people have their guards up, like, absolutely not. I just Mm -hmm. want the diet. So I wish it could be as perfect as that all the time, but it's not. So what do you do in those situations? Yeah, that's a really good question. And you're absolutely right. Sometimes you have those people and you can't, you can't just say no, right? I, I, you know, well, I, I suppose I could, I suppose maybe there are some people that say, you know what, I'm not the right fit for you then, you know, I, but that's just not me. I would say, okay, I'm going to work with this person. Right. And I might give them what they want at first, but when they come back, I'm going to probe, how does this feel? You know, did you actually want, they might tell me, you know, I was really good. Right. When they use that language, I pick up and I was really good this week. Hmm. You said good, you know, tell me about what that means. And, you know, I, I was bad or I cheated. And those are the things that I latch onto and I get them to, and I sort of expose it to expose the concept of, you know, look at the way that you're talking about food. Are you open to talking about this? You know, look at what your ideas are and you were, you think you were bad because you had a piece of cake for your best friend's birthday. Can we talk about that for a second, right? Because you likely aren't going to be working with me forever. And I don't want us to leave here with you always thinking that that's, that's bad, you know? And so the other way, the other things, you know, to really answer your question is I'm always asking people if they think what we're doing and working on feels like something that's sustainable. Does this feel sustainable or does this feel temporary? And and this doesn't happen a lot because to be honest, a lot of people who come to me, they've already been through the whole dieting and they're done. Right. But every once in a while, it's me trying to, you know, trying to convince them that what's best is for you to explore what's going to be the most sustainable for you. Right. And just getting back to your body and the basics and hunger and fullness. 
And so that's how I approach it is how is it, how is it going to be sustainable? So Alex, I had cake at my best friend's birthday party and that was bad. What do you Mm. tell me? How do you tell me that's not bad? It's cake. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh gosh. There's so many different directions you could go there. You know, one thing that kind of pops into my head is let's analyze cake for a second. Let's do the dietitian thing for a second. And let's talk about all of the ingredients in cake, break it down. And let's talk about all of the nutrients you're getting in that cake. You know, first of all, that would be one thing you could do. The other thing is looking at it more kind of, I guess, on a macro level is let's talk about what normal eating is. You know, a lot of times I like to draw on Ellen Satter's definition of normal eating. I don't know if you guys ever heard of it. Yeah. I use it all the time. Yeah. Let's talk about what normal eating is and whether or not you think that eating a piece of cake for your best friend's birthday would be within the realm of normal, you know, and, and exploring how it feels, right? So when we think that eating cake is bad, how are we making ourselves feel about that also, right? And so if cake is bad, what else is bad? Let's talk about all the foods that are quote unquote bad. Yeah. And then if you're eating all of them, how often are you making yourself feel like you're bad, you know, and tying it into that? And is it fair to yourself? And should you be making yourself, you know, feel bad? And I think it's also about, you know, talking about that, that permission to enjoy food. You know, what does food mean to you? Is food only about fuel? Or is it also about the pleasure? Mm-hmm. You know, and that's kind of getting into the intuitive eating principles. Yeah. Are you finding that so you've done this nutrition counseling for a few years now? And so mm-hmm. are you finding that what people consider bad, quote unquote, is just mm-hmm. following the typical diety trends? Yes. Yeah. Yes, for sure. I mean, carbs, right? It's, you know, that's the other thing. People will will come in saying, oh my gosh, I never expected to leave here with you telling me to eat more carbs. You know, I was afraid you were going to tell me to stop. So yes, I do. I think the whole, the concept of bad is coming from the diet trends, is coming from society, coming from the messages we get from social media, but also from upbringing, from family. You know, I, I do think that sometimes that, you know, I have to remind myself to, if I have an opportunity to bring that up too, right? What messages did you get as a kid growing up? What words did your parents or your family use to describe food? Comes from that also, I think. Yeah. I think we have so many areas to cover as outpatient dietitians, but that touching on social media always Mm. brings up something. It's interesting to see, like all of a sudden fruit's bad now. So it's just just wild. What? Yeah. I can't keep up. <laughs> I can't keep up. And I've been in the field long enough to see the trends come back around in a full circle. And back in the day, it was fat was bad. And then some people can do bacon and other people, like some people say bacon is not okay or better. And other people say, no, it's, I'm going to put better in my coffee. So right. it's kind of like, you know, let's go back as dietitians into this world of the, what's human nutrition. Like our bodies haven't evolved that much since cave person time to, to be that different, to need coffee, Mm -hmm. you know, butter in your coffee or 
or not avoid it. So I was glad too that you put in the the whole piece of permission to enjoy food. So these are Alex's step one, two, three on how to handle cake. (laughs) Um, We can do the dietitian thing, which is do the science behind the the, the individual ingredients. We can talk about normal eating and using that Ellen Satter. I mean, she has a PDF on her website that I use to help people, you know, know, like sometimes it's munching along and sometimes it's eating three meals a day and sometimes it's eating. And then that brought you into the third one, permission to enjoy food, which is the intuitive eating. There's pleasure in eating. And, and then what if you're, what if your client can't get pleasure out of eating that cake because they're so uptight about it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's a good point. You know, you kind of, you, you asked, did you eat the cake because you felt obligated? Right. So then you want to find out why did you eat it? Did you really not want it? And you felt uncomfortable and obligated to eat it? Or did you really want it? But then you were so uncomfortable and felt guilty. Yeah. Yeah. So what was it? Let's really get down to it. And so most of the time, you know, it would be, I really, I did want it. It looked really good, but that voice was telling me you don't need it. Do you need it? Right. So the other thing too, would be drawing on a time in their life when they did enjoy cake. I love this one. Yeah. 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 Do you have any examples of, of what people have said or what they've revealed to themselves with that experiment? Sure. They always get back to childhood, right? They remember their kind of elementary school, middle school days when they would couldn't wait for birthday parties or, you know, snacking after school comes up a lot, a lot in my sessions, that memory. And I have very vivid memories of that too. You come home from school and you're, you're so hungry, right? And so a lot of that comes up too. And that freedom where you're not even thinking, you're just going off of your hunger, your body's cues, your, your body is just moving you toward that cupboard and moving you toward that fridge and you just enjoyed it. And so we kind of do that, that we'll do, I'll do an exercise on that. Did you ever have a time where you did enjoy it? And I, I haven't come across someone who says, you don't know, and certainly, you know, when we say cake, that could mean any number of foods, right? Because you certainly could be someone who just doesn't like cake and that's not, yeah, yeah. And that's what I was going to say, along with Abby's question about like, do you see that that's the same foods like for some people? So I'm in Kansas City. Barbecue is a big deal. Mm -hmm. Barbecue is also for people who are dieting can be really, quote, bad. And for other clients, it's not. It's actually a go to common like okay, very, very okay food. Mm -hmm. And so we, that's part of that counter-transference that we might project onto our client that cake is a a scary food for them or that barbecue may be a scary food for them. So it's being open to, and Alex, this is what I really love about you is you're listening. This, you're giving yeah. them a place to tell the story, a place to talk about it. And, and I haven't heard you yet say, you know, kind of guiding them towards what you think the answer should be. It's really, you're just mm-hmm. like, tell me about a time when you did enjoy that, or let's talk about that cake. Did you want that cake or did you feel obligated, you know, or, mm-hmm. or was there something else? It's really open, kind of going along with motivational interviewing and kind of keeping that open. 
Yeah. And getting to the bottom of what you really want, what you really want, not your thoughts, not that eating disordered brain or whatever you want. You know, there's lots of different ways that we could name that, right? Which is a whole other topic, but, um, you know, but what do you want, right? And they don't always know at first. And it's kind of figuring out where is you, I want to hear your voice. I want that, that pure voice. I want us to kind of, yeah, get back into what you want, what your body wants. And yeah, that them kind of figuring that out, not what I want. And on the flip of all of this, sometimes I think, you know, as eating disorder dietitians, we can villainize other types of foods that are sort of quote unquote health foods you know, like kale or quinoa or whatever it may be, right? Like, no, eat the pasta, not the quinoa. Eat the, you know, I, you know, I don't know, don't, don't eat too many veggies, you know, that, that sort of thing. I think we need to be a little careful about that as well. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I'm so glad you said that because we can go, have you ever heard the phrase from diet land to donut land and back? No, I haven't. Okay. (laughs) So, it's, and I forget, I don't remember, it's someone from the Health at Every Size, Deborah Gard, or, and I apologize if, if anyone wants to let me know who that is, but I love that phrase because like kale, what if you're in the mood for that? And what if you really want it? Exactly. What if it's the only thing that you have, or, you know, that kind of goes along with veganism. We have to be available and open to what is, what is you know, what is right for our client. And while we tease out maybe some of the eating disorder type of choices. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Some people, right, love those foods. Some people love kale, love green smoothies, you know, and, and, the, the vegan thing too is right. That, that, that concept of really listening. I mean, someone might really deeply care about the, you know, the compassion piece and the, and really identify with the vegan movement for animals, maybe not necessarily for health. And, you know, it is our job to really help them tease that out and not yeah. to, let people get away with using it sort of as an excuse, right. For continuing eating disorder behavior. But at the same time, yes, I do think there's a place for having those kinds of ideals and diets and, and having a successful recovery. I think Mm. there's a place for it. You can eat Cheetos and a kale smoothie at the same time. Right. Mm. (laughs) Yeah. Somebody, I don't know who it is that says this. So somebody says something like, it's the dose of the poison, like, you know, everything in moderation. If you have mm. 200 bags of Cheetos every day, not maybe not a great idea, but with right. you, yeah. So shifting gears a little bit, I would love for you to touch on this because I'm hoping at least that we have some newer RDs listening in or people finishing up their internship that are curious about to what field to get in. So pros and cons maybe of outpatient counseling, because I love outpatient, but seeing, you know, like inpatient eating disorder facilities, all of the support and how you can just Mm -hmm. walk over and talk to the doctor. You don't have to try and find their number and then leave a voicemail and then email back and forth. So just giving a little bit of insight on that. That is a great, great question. Yeah. I think you just sort of named the the, the cons, right, of being outpatient. I, I, I would agree with that. You might have more resources at your fingertips, 
right? Which is great. People, people, resources, right? Other professionals, you're more likely to work in that multidisciplinary team. Yeah. So that's definitely the, the benefit there. And the safety of have knowing that your clients have medical oversight, you know, that's something too that you that you miss in an outpatient setting. I think the the pros to an outpatient setting and not having worked in an inpatient setting, right? So this is someone who hasn't, but I think the pros too are, gosh, there are so many people out there who are so reluctant to get care, right? To see a professional about their eating disorder or their disordered eating, right? And they're willing to step into an office. So I love that I can be that maybe stepping stone for them, or maybe that's where they stop. You know, you, you hope if they need a higher level of care, you can, you can help get them there. But so at least I'm, I'm, I'm there to help support that population. Right. And I think you can think a little bit more. Another pro would be, you can think a little bit more outside the box, right? You don't have to follow this prescribed uh, program, follow certain, certain steps. You can adapt based on, you know, what your intuition is telling you about, about the clients. I think we've talked about it before, Beth, in our group supervisions is, you know, is there a time where you kind of hold back? You know, I've asked myself recently, is there a time where I need to kind of pause on food challenges, right? And action items, you know, maybe we pause for a couple of sessions because that's what seems right. Things like that. So I think, I hope that answered, that answered your question. Yes, absolutely. That was very yeah. helpful. That's and that helpful. was a great question, Abby, because I've been in, in all places mm-hmm. and I started in eating disorders with an inpatient hospitalization. So it was medical stabilization and inpatient in a hospital setting. So yeah, you're there, you're doing groups, they're monitored, the doors are locked before, you know, after meals, there's some, a staff member with them at every meal to help. And, and like, you can go to their chart and see what their weight is. And, you know, they've been weighed in the same clothing and all of that is very, very wonderful. And then when I did my first outpatient, it was like, I know nothing about eating disorders. I know nothing. I felt like I knew nothing. And so it was kind of that outpatient, like getting to learn how to, like you said, Alex, kind of get that pause of, I'm only with them for one hour a week. Right. They've got 21 meals and however many snacks and exercise hours in between and abilities to purge or not. And I don't have that kind of control. What, like, what do you do? (laughs) But you have the freedom then to to hold space for that. You also, your schedule, you know, you can be there at different times for them and take Fridays off if you want to, and really work with your client. You know, that's some of the benefits of, I think, being an outpatient. I agree. Yes, I, I do. And being in a group practice, I think for both of you, you have people that you can talk to, you know? Yeah. Oh gosh. I, I you know, I've learned so much from the, the, the girls in, in my group, we learn so much from each other and it's so helpful. Yeah. To work in a group practice for sure. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I'm doing supervision with Beth right now. And that is fabulous. I'm adoring <laughs> it, but it's being in private practice and having other people around you is so nice because if I'm freaking out a little bit, I can just walk over to someone's office, yeah. you know, explain, you calm down a little bit. Mm-hmm. So that's yeah. always a great perk too. 
I mean, yeah, what would sure. be some freaking out things I, that you all might in your practices mm-hmm. want to share with somebody new who's saying, what am I doing wrong? And it's like that you've learned that if I just go talk to someone. Um, this sounds like a you question, Alex, because I still freak yeah. out all the time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I still, I still freak out here and there too. You know, I think, gosh, what comes to mind for me, to be honest, is, you know, I know in the podcast you've talked about, right, being for us as dietitians to have awareness, you know, around the, the therapy piece of things and to have awareness around the medical stuff. And I think we're, when it comes down to the medical is... I have in the past panicked with, oh my gosh, someone just came in, you know, and I kind of did my thing with, you know, we went through food recalls and meal plans and how to increase what they're eating. And I don't think I paused on how severe the situation is here. Right. And that kind of ties into being in that outpatient setting. I don't know if I, I may, you know, I think maybe the first step and now I, that is when, when I'm sort of the first person someone's come to, if it, it's not them transitioning out of, you know, inpatient now, often it's, you know, the first step that I recommend is some medical oversight, you know, go, go see a doctor, make sure outpatient is appropriate. So I think that might be one thing is knowing the signs, making sure that we're doing assessments appropriately and knowing the signs of someone who might be too severe to just jump right into some kind of outpatient program, you know? So that is kind of the biggest thing, you know, that comes to mind. Other things, making sure that you use appropriate language, right? Not to be too offensive. So I I found sometimes in the beginning, I would hold back a lot because I would be thinking in my head, oh my gosh, I'm about to say this word. Is this word okay? Is that word okay? You know, kind of not the language and the lingo and not wanting to to offend and wanting it to be a really safe space for that person. Yes, language, lingo, healthy, unhealthy, good, bad. Mm. Can you use the word fat? Can you use the word fat as a food? Can you use the word fat on body? Can you use even the word eating disorder? (laughs) My thing was the the facial expressions of myself. Like I, on the inside, I'm freaking out. And it took me a little bit to just like, okay, no reaction. This is happening. This (laughs) is happening. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You have that little inner dialogue with yourself, don't you? When you're in there, you're kind of on, right? And I, and I think it's helpful because I, and I do think in some ways I think, okay, it's like this little performance that you put on every time and, and, and not thinking of it that way, I think is helpful. It's like, mm-hmm. wait a second, it doesn't have to be that way. And that's how I, I feel that I've calmed down a bit or no, it's I, not me performing. It's me sitting in a room with another human. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Because sometimes we can't control what comes on our face and it really can be, like you said, knowing the language and sometimes with different cultures or or genders and identities that we don't have to say, we're sorry. We really just have to read what is happening in our client's body language Mm -hmm. and then say, I noticed something, a shift did I say something that affected you? And so that way we get to learn about that person because we don't know what their safe words are or what, how their perspective is until we open it up. Love That's that. right. So asking, you know, simply asking, if you're not sure, ask, 
or mm-hmm. just let them know in the beginning if there's anything I say that is offensive to you, please let me know. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. yeah, yeah. Words can be powerful. Absolutely. You have such a calming presence, like the both of you. I'm just sitting here like, like, oh, I can't wait till I'm like 10 more years into this. And I'm just so much calmer. Abby, you have only been in this. You've only been a registered dietitian for one year. That's amazing. Yes. So you're learning a lot and you kind of got thrown into this because I asked you if you wanted to be my co-host for this podcast because I wanted someone new. So you're really, and, and Alex, how long have you been practicing as a dietitian? Yes. So for me, it's been six, six and a half years. You know, I'm pretty new myself. Yeah. Yeah. So then speaking of, if you were to take yourself back to entering the field of eating disorders, Mm. what do you wish you would have known then that you do know now and take your time if you need to? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's a, that's a loaded question, right? I, I think I wish I would have known at the time sort of how important and powerful the basics are. I guess, again, kind of going back to that performing, right? Wanting to kind of give them all these bells and whistles, you know, understanding that we can't assume what other people know and how helpful just getting down to the basics. And what I mean too, could be simply, you know, a balanced meal. And let's talk about that. And let's talk about what that means. And let's talk about macronutrients and, how they fuel you. And do we, do you know what macronutrients even means? And let's talk about, you know, that. And so that's, that's something I have learned is just kind of sitting, pausing, slowing down. And the basics for you are very meaningful to other people and can't assume that they know them. So, so start with that, lead with that. I love that. And I, I mean, I, I can't, we could have a whole episode on that because Mm -hmm. I just finished the trauma-informed dietetics course and thinking about just the rabbit holes that people can get themselves into to keep themselves feeling safe. That's Mm -hmm. the big word, but how important and powerful the basics are. One of the things in that course that I learned was when you find yourself going into the psychoeducation, like the education Mm -hmm. mode, education mode, education mode, that it may be because you're not sitting in with just the basics. Like what's human, human nutrition. We all have that. We have a lot of that. We have more of that than any other profession in the healthcare world. So rely on those basics and, Mm -hmm. and keep coming back to that and reflecting it back to what your client is asking. So I love that. Alex, thank you so much. (laughs) Thank you. So great to have you on and learn from you, Alex. And we would love to have you back eventually. Oh, it's been such a pleasure. Yes, I could just sit and talk to you gals for hours. (laughs) Let's lean on each other and learn from each other so we can grow together as professionals in this field of eating disorders. If you want to connect with me for supervision or membership with monthly content, please find me at bethharrell.com slash professionals.